Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Rita Plush. I peed like there was no tomorrow. Oh my God, what a relief. That and more, but before that, there is still time, if you're hearing this episode soon enough, to get tickets for Risk Live at San Francisco Sketchfest with Dulce Sloan of The Daily Show, Marie Faustin of Broad City, Tony Hale of Arrested Development, and Veep, and Carrie Kenny Silver of The State and Reno 911. That's January 19th at San Francisco Sketchfest. And then on January 21st, Risk is also at San Francisco Sketchfest doing our very special curated event called What's Your Story? This is a social event where you make new connections with people by sharing and listening to true stories from each other's lives in pairs and small groups. It's hosted by me, and it's on January 21st in San Francisco. And finally, Risk is back in New York City on January 25th. All of that is at risk-show.com slash live. We'll be right back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bowlinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now here's the show.
This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Duke Ellington behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode A Right Mess. A mess of what? Well, pee, spiders, and French choreographers. Oh, my In a little bit, we're going to hear from Jack Perry. But before that, Rita Plush, who you can find at ritaplush.com. Rita has got such a wonderful voice. And here she is now with a story we call A Pillow to Die For. If you should take, if you should take, you get to where you're going in a hurry. You know, it's funny how things stay with you. This was years ago when I was just starting out in interior design. A friend of mine asked me to do her living room. It was my first job. Oh my God, I was so excited. She had a whole party thing, a keyboard player, you know, people passing snacks around, real ritzy affair. And the people there, the women especially, because men are not so interested in interior design, uh, at least the men I know, but they, you know, really were impressed with what I did. They loved the color on the walls. They liked the sofa. Oh, and the toss pillows on the sofa. Oh, my God. They really went crazy for that one. They chatted me up, and some of them asked for cards. I mean, I didn't want to leave. I was like basking in that, but, you know, I had to go. So there was traffic on the uh, Long Island uh, Expressway, always, especially on Sunday. I mean, it was a killer. And I'm not great with directions. I don't have the best sense of direction. And just before the turn off onto the LIE, I see the sign and it said alternate route. Look, I just learned north and south, and I'm happy with that. And alternate route, uh, you're talking a foreign language. But what could I do? I was there, and I just had to get home. So I followed the cars in front of me, and they were slow. I mean, for an hour, it was inch by inch. Then it started to get dark, and I had to pee in the worst way. I did have a drink or four at the party, you know, celebrating all those trays going around. And I'm telling you, pee so bad, I was exploding. Did you ever feel that way? Pee or die? Well, this was my pee or die moment. My car inched along. I worked my sphincter like a Vegas hooker, but it it didn't do any good. I was freaking out. Pull over and go on the side of the road, I said. Men do it all the time. But I wasn't men. Women don't do those things, especially not a businesswoman. And I looked the part, too. Always dressed just so. I could never. My heart was racing. What should I do? 
bum 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 bum. I had to sweat. I didn't have to sweat, but I started to sweat. Maybe I had to sweat too. I had to do something. So what did I do? Well, I unzipped my pants. I can't believe I'm telling this, but this is what happened. And with a little hip action and hand movement side to side, I managed to yank down my pants, still steering the wheel with one hand, mind you. There was this leftover fabric from those gorgeous pillows on the passenger seat. So I reached over and bunched it up, lifted my butt and I shoved it under me. But I couldn't pee. My brain knew it was a no-no. Then my brain went blank and I was all bladder. I peed like there was no tomorrow. Oh my God, what a relief. It was the most delicious, the most beautiful, the most fulfilling pee I ever had, till I sat in it for a minute. No wonder babies cry when they're wet. It was warm, then it went cold. Then it started to smell like pee. Ugh, I couldn't stand myself. When I finally got home, I tossed the stinky fabric onto the driveway. I went inside and I pulled out every disinfectant I owned. I peed right through to the upholstery. When I do something, let me tell you, I do it right. I scrubbed that driver's seat like I was killing COVID. Then I picked up the fabric with two fingers. You know how you do with some stinky little dog poop in a plastic bag. I was about to toss that into the trash, but then I had another idea. I washed it out and I hung it up. When it dried, I sewed it into toss pillars for my sofa, a little memento of my first design job. And I have to tell you that even after all this time and all the pillows I've made for my clients, every time I pass my living room, I can't look at those pillows without the urge to pee. How much of a pee do you wee When you're little and you're only three Do you wiggle and watch Does it tiggle and splotch Do you do like a dog on a tree When you're little and you're only three How much of a pee do you wee when you're little and you're only three Do you wiggle and watch? Does it tiggle and splotch? Do you do like a dog on a tree? When you're little and you're only three I moved to uh, New York City in the summer of 2002 to be an actor. I just graduated from Penn State with a BA in theater. No applause. Great. Thanks. Um, so 
Um, I was really excited. I was ready to live my dream and, you know, uh, start pounding the pavement. But New York, you know, barely a year after 9-11, we didn't match. You know, like New York was very filled with fear and anxiety, obviously. And uh, what made matters even scarier was where I decided to live and work, which was Bushwick, Brooklyn. Bushwick was serving like industrial realness, you know, like uh, it had uh, trash blowing everywhere. It had barbed wire. It had people following you to the subway all the time. It had muggings. It had robbery. You know, the bar that I worked at was on Flushing Avenue and it... uh, (laughs) It was the only bar around, and many times I had to barricade the door and lock it so that people wouldn't come in to try and steal the money or steal bottles of liquor. There were multiple enormous rats, lots of vagabonds, lots of crazy people. One of my favorites was a guy who would come in with his girlfriend sometimes, and once the girlfriend left, he would proceed to get totally ripped drunk at the bar and then beg me to fuck him in the bathroom. So it was crazy. Uh, But one of the things that is almost as crazy as that is something called backstage. No one. Okay, so backstage (laughs) is where actors find their auditions. Okay, so it's a publication. Sometimes there's, you know, feel-good stories about successful actors, but mostly it's just where you find auditions. Back in 2002, there was an actual paper. So I would find a backstage, and I would, you know, find my auditions. A dirty little secret about an actor just starting out is that no one's fucking watching. (laughs) It's the wild fucking west. Anyone can put some kind of notice on backstage or any kind of the sites and say that they're casting for their short film or they're casting for their non-union, non-paying job. One of my first auditions was for a short film. I was playing Charlie. Charlie was upset that his roommate was always leaving dirty socks around. And so I went and I auditioned and the director was like, oh, that was great, Jack, thanks so much. Just do me a favor, if you could just take off your shoes and your socks, I just want to make sure that your feet are the right part as well. And I was like, I was like, no problem. Yeah, you got it. Took off my shoes, you know, I wiggled my toes. And I went home and my boyfriend at the time was like, how's your day? And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to book this part. I'm so excited. I'm going to like break into the TV and film scene of New York. And I told him about it and he was like, can I read that? And I was like, sure. And he read it, and then he goes, congratulations, you just auditioned for your very first foot porn video. Um, Another one was a gay-themed short, where afterwards the director said, thanks so much, Uh, we just want to make sure that you're okay with same-sex kissing, so uh, if you could, just French kiss the reader. And I was like, huh. And I look at the reader in a different way, and uh, he was much older than me, a little sickly, uh, with uh, an eagerness in his eyes, and I can still feel and taste that man's tongue in my mouth. (laughs) Another one uh, was simply, I don't even think I auditioned, I just walked into the room and the man asked me to make my shirt really tight around my waist. And I was like, um, okay, well, why? And he's like, well, I just want to make sure you don't have any back fat. My boyfriend went in a half an hour later and he just asked him to flex for a couple minutes. Right? Really cool, awesome, scary shit. So one day I'm uh, looking through backstage 
and I see this casting, and it's for a brand new opera at the Metropolitan Opera, and it's called The House of the Dead. And they were looking for 17 movement actors to be a part of the ensemble for the opera. And it was a three-month job, and they needed, by the way, movement actors, and I was like, well, I'm, I can be a movement actor. <laughs> And I kept on reading, and then I saw this thing that just like popped out, and it said, pays $2,000 a week for three months. And I was like, $24,000. $24,000, okay, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm a movement actor, let's do this. So I emailed them, and I sent them a headshot, and they said, come on in, you know, let's audition. I found myself in front of the Metropolitan Opera. It's in Lincoln Center. If you haven't been to Lincoln Center, it is iconic. Right? There's this gorgeous building in front of you. There's another gorgeous building to the right and to the left. It's where the New York Philharmonic is. And then there's Juilliard. And then there's the uh, City Ballet of New York and the American Ballet Theater. I mean, it is stunning. And there's this gorgeous fountain. And there's, it's just, you know, it's New York, right? It's the professionals where the professionals are. And so I walk to the stage door and people meet me. And I get into an elevator. And the Met was built in around like the early 60s. All the rehearsal rooms and the studios are underneath the stage, multiple levels. So I take an elevator all the way down, I think like three levels, and I get out and I'm weaving through like sets for Aida and like, you know, sets for La Boheme and Renee Fleming runs right by me and there's an enormous orchestra just rehearsing and I hear someone belting an aria and I, I also notice that like it's very dark and the fluorescent lights everywhere. The walls are very like that color and like like a green, you know, that's in like insane asylums. <laughs> and I like half expect like to look down a hallway and see like two twins just kind of staring at you. Right. So I went to the ballet studio and I walk in and there's about 20 guys there and we're all dressed the same. We're dressed in like sweats and sweatpants, you know, because we're movement actors. <laughs> And there's uh, these two gentlemen there, and they're dressed all in black. They have us do a couple movement exercises, and then they say to us, um, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we would like to see how much you can move, so uh, we would like for you to be a tiger. Go. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was like, a, a tiger? Did you say tiger? And I, I, I happened to be at the end of this line, suddenly a line formed. We all had to be a tiger one by one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'd be a tiger, I might be a tiger. $2,000, just try to be a tiger. $2,000 a week, I can be a fucking tiger. And I look and I see these actors being fucking tigers, right? Like everyone's really going for it. And I actually am kind of inspired. And I was like, all right, I can, I can do this, I can be a tiger. And I get, to the front of the line and I fucking go for it. I bare my teeth, I make like fangs, I'm like on all fours, I'm hissing. I actually like start another fight with another tiger, there's a tiger fight. I'm all in because I'm like, I don't wanna go back to Bushwick y'all, like I need this money. And so I go home and I'm actually feeling really exhilarated. I'm like, wow, I fucking did that. That was like, that was awesome and I don't know what's gonna happen, but that was great. And they called and they said, hey, congratulations, you have another audition. Uh, it's tomorrow, can you, can you come? And I was like, you got it, let's do this. So tomorrow comes, I walk into the ballet studio 
and the entire floor is covered in newspaper. And it's the same two Frenchmen and another 20 people. And the Frenchmen say, um, hey, thank you so much for, my French accent is horrible, but I'm determined, so bear with me. I thank you so much for being here. Uh, we loved seeing you move yesterday, so for today, we would like for you to be an island. Go. <laughs> and I was like, what? And did he say an island? And I know I'm not alone. Like, everyone is literally like, uh, okay. Some people immediately start, like, gathering a bunch of the newspapers, you know, gathering together, making, like, a hoarding island. I don't know. I start wandering. I don't really know what is going on. I'm actually kind of panicking because I'm thinking, how can you be an island? How does it, what does it feel like to be an island? How, how do I emulate an island? What, what do I do? How do I be an island? Don't fuck this up because it's $2,000 a week and you get to like leave your terrible job in Bushwick and you won't have to like, you know, fight off that man who wants to have sex with you in the bathroom anymore. <laughs> you know, so I'm just like panicked. I didn't know what to do. I find myself just kind of frozen in place, frozen in fear. So afraid to make a decision, so afraid to make some, a wrong decision to, to lose this opportunity. And I look across the room and I see this guy and I can tell he's going through the exact same thing. I was looking at his face and I kept thinking, that's what I look like right now. <laughs> and I'm looking at his eyes and I'm thinking, are you thinking what I'm thinking, right? Do you also work in a terrible job? Are you also working in a neighborhood that you refuse to tell your parents the real truth about? Are, 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 you, are you scared shitless right now? And for some reason, I didn't look away. I just kept staring at him. And I stared at him for 90 minutes. At one point, I start crying. I, 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 don't, I don't know why I cried, but I was crying. And everybody else is doing their thing. They're all being their own versions of an island. And everything ends... And I walk over to him and I do that actor thing. I don't know if anyone here knows, but I walk over and I go, oh my God, that was just so beautiful. <laughs> Which, I'm Jack, like, what, what's your name? I'm Wayne, man, I'm Wayne. It's so nice to meet you, man. You know, like, oh. And so I get the call later that night and they're like, congratulations, there's another audition. <laughs> would, um, would, you like to, would you like to come? Oh, and by the way, this job, is also up for being in a, in a tour in Europe, starting in Paris. These are the dates. Oh. Just wanted to let you know and you know, check your availability. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, avail free, let's do this. So I go to the ballet studio. There's 20 guys there again, two Frenchmen. And the Frenchmen get up. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we auditioned 700 people for this part. We can only take 17. Uh, there are 20 of you. We cannot decide. So we need for you to do one more exercise. Um, we need for you to be a machine. Go. <laughs> a machine. Of course, the first thing that went through my mind was... $24,000. <laughs> and the second thing that went through my mind was fucking be a machine. Just be a machine. Do it. Do whatever, do whatever you can 
jump in, just do it. And so I dive in and it's 20 people who are like an amoeba for 90 minutes being this machine of some kind. At one point I'm flailing my arms, another point I'm like underneath seven guys, and then another part I'm like climbing on top of another dude. Like I'm 6'5 and this guy was enormous. Like I was able to like climb on top of him, you know, and like reach for the stars and reach for, uh, reaching. And we all collapsed and it was over. And we're all thanking each other, of course. And they asked us to line up. And so we lined up and the two Frenchmen talked and then they walked to the person at the first uh, end of the line and they said, yes, 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 yes. And they're so close to me, they're, they're right next to me, yes. And then they stand right in front of me and they skip me. And they say yes to the guy next to me and they say yes and they say nothing to another guy. Yes, 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 and nothing to another guy. And they asked us to leave. And so we just left. And I was fucking busted. I was so deflated. This kid who came out with me, he just burst into tears. And the people who work at the Met, the casting people, they came running after us and they were crying as well because they just apologized. They said, we've never done this before. We're so sorry. We've never had an experience like this. Please, we cast operas all the time. We're, we're going to call you. We're, we're, just, we're just so sorry. And I said, it's, it's okay. And then I walked outside and I found myself at the fountain and I just fucking lost it. I mean, I was like, like I'm shaking now just thinking about it, you know? $24,000 to like a 25-year-old out-of-work actor fucking slinging drinks. I took a look at the Met one last time and I got on the one, transferred to the L and found myself back to Bushwick to work. A couple weeks later, a friend of mine emailed me or called me maybe and said, hey, I, I wrote a play and I, I, think, I think you'd be really great for it. Do you wanna be a part of the stage reading? And I was like, yeah, yeah, why not? Sure, let's do it. And the reading was at this awesome theater called Ars Nova. It was one night only and I did the reading, it was great, it was a stage reading and unbeknownst to me was a casting director from 30 Rock in the audience. A Couple weeks later, he called me in and asked me to audition for a small but significant part. <laughs> and I booked it. And the next, gosh, couple days later, you know, I'm sitting on the set with uh, Jane Krakowski, just laughing my face off. And as I'm talking to Jane Krakowski, I have this realization, holy fuck, if I had booked House of the Dead, I wouldn't be here. I live in Los Angeles now. I still audition. I actually teach acting now. I teach people, beginner actors, how to deal with anxiety and fear in an audition scenario. And yeah, I worked my fucking ass off to get this acting career that I've always dreamed that I would have. But nowhere anymore in my life am I slinging drinks with the rats. Thank you.
would like for you to be a tiger. Go. A tiger? Did you say tiger? Be a tiger. I might be a tiger. All right, I can, I can do this. I can be a tiger. Yes. 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 We need for you to be a machine. Go. Fucking be a machine. Just be a machine. Do it. Do whatever. Do whatever you can. Jump in. Just do it. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. For today, we would like for you to be an island. Go. What? Did he say an island? Uh, okay. Oh my God, that was just so beautiful. We'll be right back. We're back. This is Risk. This is James Brown behind me now. And before the break, we heard a little interstitial by Taj Easton called Tiger Machine Island, which was, of course, inspired by Jack Perry's story. Jack is at Jack John Perry on Instagram. First time he was on Risk was during the COVID lockdown. Remember when we were recording live streams of shows with all the storytellers at home in their apartments. So it's lovely to have Jack back on, alive on stage. And if you didn't know, he's the better half of our LA show producer and host, David Crabb. And before Jack, we heard from none other than Donovan singing about one of the most important things one can sing about P. Well, folks, we still do very, very, very much so need your help to keep Risk running. No joke. A Risk listener who has joined us recently on Patreon named Todd wrote in, I had been meaning to join for a while now. Thank you for the show. It has meant a lot to me over the past few years and has become a big part of my weekly mental health routine. Well, thank you so much, Todd. And if you, dear listener, have been meaning to join us for a while there, get on over to patreon.com risk. I think we're getting close to in the ballpark of 150 hours of bonus content over there now crazy and remember 
If you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. And if you want a third option of how to donate, just email me at kevin at risk-show.com. Our final story on the show today is short, but it packs a punch. Here's Matthew Donahue now with a story we call The Dive. As a commercial diver, one of the first things that you're taught is that panicking will almost certainly get you seriously hurt or killed. I'd been a working diver for several years, and I was always able to keep my fear in check no matter how uncomfortable the situation was. But this time was different, and I was really starting to freak out. I'm a bridge engineer and a commercial diver, and I was inspecting a culvert under a road in the middle of the desert in Utah. Culvert is basically a square-shaped concrete tube, about six by six in this case, that gets water from one side of the road to the other. And because it supports uh, the roadway above, it has to be inspected every few years by a qualified engineer diver. So I get inside this culvert and I start swimming upstream against the current, clawing through mud and tree branches and all the other garbage that had piled up at the entrance. It can get to be pretty tight in that space which is not a ton of fun for me. Despite being a commercial diver all these years, I'm still a bit claustrophobic. And the visibility in there is really bad, so you can't even see your hand, even if it's right in front of your face. It's also pitch black because underwater lights are useless at that point. But that's pretty normal for that type of dive work. Concrete inspection is usually pretty simple. Good concrete should be hard and somewhat smooth and you inspect with your eyes and by tapping around with a hammer looking for cracks or missing pieces or hollow sounds uh, when you're above water and you can see things. When you're below water and you can't see anything, your hands and your ears become your eyes. You have to tap on the concrete and really concentrate and listen as carefully as possible. So I'm swimming along, tap, 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 swim along some more, tap, 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 and then thud, thud, thud. I clipped off my hammer to my dive harness and raised my arm above my head to feel the concrete. And what I felt was the surface of the concrete moving and writhing beneath my hand. And so I'm thinking, what the hell is that? And then before I knew it, I literally had a knee-jerk reaction and I retracted both my arms and legs as close to my body as I could get them, sank to the bottom down into the mud and being half sunk into the mud with current beating against me in the pitch black strapped into a dive helmet was not super fun because I'm claustrophobic. And then I started to feel the first pangs of panic set in. My heart rate went up, my breathing rate went up, but then I remembered I have a job to do and I need to figure out what's going on. So I stuck the faceplate of my dive helmet as close to the ceiling of the culvert as I could get it. And it turned out that there was a small air pocket up there. And so I turned on my helmet light and I saw that there were thousands and thousands of silver dollar sized hobo spiders piled on top of each other crawling and writhing around on the ceiling everywhere that I looked. Then all of a sudden they were all over my faceplate and on my hands and falling into the water all around me and I started feeling little pinpricks inside my suit and on my face and I'm thinking, 
that got into my dive suit. They're inside the helmet. So now I really started freaking out. My mind was racing and all I could think about was I need to get the hell out of here. So I started swimming and clawing, but realized I was going the wrong way. I was going upstream. So I flipped around and started pulling myself out along my airline. The act of pulling myself hand over hand gave me something to focus on. And then my training kicked in. I settled to the bottom. I slowed my breathing rate down, which in turn slowed down my heart rate. As my mind started to get quiet, I realized two things. One, that I was in a fully enclosed suit with a helmet and gloves, and that it was highly unlikely that a spider could get inside any of that gear. And that two, if I came out of there without finishing the dive screaming about spiders, my buddies up topside would never let me hear the end of it. And then I heard a voice in my head from the way back, something that I'd heard or read somewhere. If you're afraid of something, you need to imagine becoming that thing as a way to overcome your fear. So I started to imagine myself as a spider in a spider-shaped diving suit. All of a sudden, I could feel my eight legs stretch out into a spider-shaped suit, and I could feel the helmet expand to fit my spider-shaped head. And then I thought to myself, all the other spiders and I are going to finish the inspection of this culvert. My little spider buddies are going to help me get the job done. So crawling through the culvert at that point took on a new meaning. I finished the inspection and swam back down the culvert with the current and came out the other side. And since that time, whenever I see a spider around the house or out in nature, I crack a smile and think about how strong they are and how strong I became in a really difficult, critical moment because I learned to love something that would have otherwise scared the hell out of me.
This is Risk. This is Laura Veers behind me now. And we just heard from They Might Be Giants. Before that, that story by Matthew Donahue. Now, Matt is not just a commercial diver, but also a career structures engineer, helping people with prior interaction with the criminal justice system find stable employment. And you can find him at structuramanagement.com. We'll list that in the show notes. Folks, all of Risk's live shows are listed always at risk-show.com slash live. On January 19th, we're at San Francisco Sketch Fest with a big all-star show. On January 21st, we have What's Your Story in San Francisco, our curated social event where we help people meet one another by sharing stories in pairs and small groups. And on January 25th, we're in New York. Now, like I said, all you need to know is at risk-show.com slash live. We'll be right back. We're back. Folks, our dear friend Ray Christian has been encouraging us to do an episode all about butts and call it a butt-isode for years now. Now, is that what's coming up on Thursday? Your guess is as good as mine, but Thursday is Thursday, and folks, today is the day. Take a risk. My sphincter like a Vegas hooker. What is the sea flowing out of me? It's pee. What a relief. Why am I fatter all around my bladder? You gotta pee. I had a pee in the worst way. Why is this urinal all full? It's full of pee. It's like water, except it's yellow and it's hotter. That's pee. I peed like there was no tomorrow. If you drink enough, your pee will be clear. And if you gotta go, don't do it here. I was all bladder. We're having a real nice day. I was so excited. Don't spoil it. Uh. If you gotta go pee, do it in the toilet. some more water, young fellow. Uh. You're dehydrated with pee a dark yellow. 
it was warm. What is the sea flowing out of me? It's pee. Then it started to smell like pee. Why am I fatter all around my bladder? You gotta pee. Did you ever feel that way? I was exploding. Why is this urinal all full? It's full of pee. I peed right through to the upholstery. What's like water, except it's yellow and it's hotter? That's pee. It was the most delicious, the most beautiful, the most fulfilling pee I ever had.